Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Welcome everyone to Deep Drinks Podcast. This is a podcast where the guest chooses their favorite drink and they bring it along and I bring the same drink and the drink sets the tone for the interview. Deep conversations over deep drinks. Today, my guest is Jenna, who's a former Christian who deconstructed her faith many years ago. However, Jenna's family still had strong connections to Christianity, resulting in Jenna living a secret double life for many years. Jenna now co-owns Tang, which stands for the Atheist Network Group, which is best described as a group of skeptics who met online. They create videos and live stream and have discussions and debates. It's a great time over there. On a personal note, having Jenna on is very special to me personally. Uh, not only because her and her partner Oz have become friends of mine, but because back before we had 100 subscribers, Jenna, Oz, and the rest of Tang have been supporting this channel and made me feel super welcome as a new content creator. So with that, I am super happy to welcome my friend, Jenna, Black Female Atheist. Welcome, Jenna, to Deep Drinks. <laughs> How are you feeling? Nervous. <laughs> For whatever yeah. reason, just all the nerves, all the recalling of thoughts and feelings and everything that I've been experiencing for the last, I don't know, several months has been fast, a fast, weird, scary roller coaster. But I'm happy. I'm well, in a good place. <laughs> yeah, that I, uh, I often talk about my deconstructing experience as the most heartbreaking but amazing part of my life. And, and yeah. it definitely... I definitely resonate with with what you're experiencing. I don't think you need to be nervous though, because you have more people in the chat cheering you on than I've seen anyone on Deep Drinks before. Dee's here, Doorknob Head's here, Maya's here, Bitty Buddha's here, Michael Granado's here, Cosmic hey, Kyle's Kathy. here. Like this, so many people. I just I hope I didn't miss anyone. Aunt Kathy's here. So many people are here to cheering you on because you are super lovely. You're a super lovely person. And something that not many people know is my wife never accepts anyone's friend request on Facebook. She doesn't like people or she doesn't, unless she's like met them like a 10 times. And she, you guys became friends on Facebook because she likes you. And, um, and I like Amy. I, yeah. I know you just had your little baby boy Atlas. And I, yeah. you know, I secretly followed Amy as her, you know, progression of pregnancy, you know, moved on all, all over the nine months and everything. And I'm like, gosh, the, I mean, and that's like, no body shame or anything like amy looked gorgeous through and through i'm like this woman i'm like if i ever have a child like <laughs> i hope i could i hope i stay as same gorgeous as i was you know before i conceived like she you rocked it amy by the way oh you love to hear <laughs> and that you have a beautiful oh, baby boy yeah <laughs> she i think part of your story and part of like the way like how you approach things i showed some episodes of you on Tang talking about your story really helped her because she's quite similar in that she's a bit of a people pleaser and she wants doesn't want people to be she doesn't want to cause anyone to be upset so yeah. she really resonated with you because you I think are too kind a lot of the time and so yeah no, I get that yeah well Jenna for those who don't know your could you give us a bit of a rundown so we'll talk about essentially like mm -hmm. you're coming out to your family but but i wanted to first give the audience just a little like a quick explanation of like what kind of christian you were and how you started deconstructing your faith could you tell us about that yeah absolutely oh um, wait actually i screwed up i already screwed up 
I've already screwed up. Yes. What are we drinking? <laughs> oh, shit. Right. <laughs> we are drinking. <laughs> wow. Failure already. No, it's kidding. No, we are drinking. I'm very excited to be here, by the way. I, For the record, I had told David like months ago, like you are going to be the person to get the deep dive interview of everything once I moved to Indiana. I saved that for him. So kudos. But yes, we Thank are drinking so Stella Rosa. This is my favorite wine as a dessert wine. I'm I'm a lightweight. So yeah, it doesn't take much of this simple little not heavy on alcohol wine to get me. Ooh, so, you know, <laughs> I'm well, just, uh, well, in uh, kangaroo land, it's very hard to get different types of alcohol. So we from especially from America. So I went to the store last night and an old man at the bottle. We call them bottle helped me <laughs> for about 15 minutes walking around trying to match the same wine. And I was like looking at pictures and stuff. So I've got a slightly sweet, slightly sparkling red wine as well. So hopefully nice. it's just as good as what you're drinking. But what's everyone else drinking? Tell us in the comments. It doesn't have to be alcohol. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, now we've done that part. Cool. So tell us a little bit about your story. Oh, let's see. How did I start? Where did I start? Well, first off, I was raised in Baptist Christian. So I have an older sister, same thing. She's like three years older than I am. So Baptist Christian through and through. Started, you know, early actively in the church as far as like, my thing was being in the choir. So I liked singing. I started being in the choir as young as maybe five, six years old, up until like solidly every year, up until maybe 17 or 18. And then some years in my 20s. Right. But I did a ton of stuff during the church, like multimedia stuff, praise dancing, everything but being a, everything but be an usher. So I did a lot just because I just liked hanging out with people. I liked making mm. friends. Yeah, go for it. I <laughs> you may see kids pass by. Uh, I have Oz's kids with me while he's out in a gig. So that's why you'll see little kiddos. And don't be alarmed. They're not mine, obviously, but you know, they're cool. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> No, but yeah. So I guess. is in, 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 uh, I know that in America, they like, you have like kind of black gospel churches. Was it like a church like that or is it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, cool. That. Awesome. Uh, I would think, I would say the first like early, up until my early teens that it was more of the kind of old fashioned black gospel church. But then once that pastor kind of retired and we got a new one, it became a bit more modernized, I guess you could say, or a bit more contemporary. So it was mm -hmm. a different feel, but still kind of like the old school kind of rules. Old school rules meaning, you know, no females on the pulpit, no women preachers, very heavy women don't do this things. Very much about, you know, preaching the nastier part well i won't say nasty i would say making mention of the really you know devastating parts like you know things against gays but you know having that christian love for them certain things like i don't know saying oh we're we got covid because god is shaming us for allowing gays to get married all that wow but, yeah, yes. yeah okay yeah. i get the vibe yeah so it's like the yeah so everything everything is always our fault and god is just trying to protect us from ourselves essentially but he has to send covid and aids and things like that because right. we keep loving homosexuality and mtv and whatever yeah yeah right <laughs> <laughs> definitely that wow okay so 
so and you're so you're a christian like the majority of life how did you start deconstructing your faith i know you started learning about other religions at one stage a sort well i not learning as far as just coming to understand more i never took like a deep dive into like islam or any other faith it drove me to start reading the bible more and like i i do recall reading it from cover to cover one full time and then like maybe bits and pieces like a quarter of it the second time so I have read it from cover to cover. I would say I started kind of feeling questionable silently when I was like maybe 13, 14 years old when I finally stopped falling asleep during sermons and actually paid attention. The only times I would not fall asleep is if I was singing in the choir because you know, other times it was fucking boring. But once I started really listening and what caught my attention, I don't remember the scripture or anything, but I recall like what my pastor then was preaching as far as like, something showing and it's so funny titan you put that in there showing that lovingness that christian love to rule out the devil of you know homosexuality and things like that because something god wants it this way and i started like sitting on that thinking like well is that really a big deal like okay maybe the issue of procreation. Okay, but we have enough straight people. In the I remember actively sitting there in church as he's saying this, thinking like, well, there's enough straight people in the world. I think we have enough to just grow, you know, more babies or more people if we needed it. So, I mean, what's wrong with that? And then the whole thing about, oh, they're damned to go to hell. I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, was, it's, it was this uh, like moment of silent criticism. I never at all at any point of my questioning or deconstruction phase where I asked someone these things because along with all of that demonization and that hate preaching, the notion of being black and not believing in God or being a Christian was an absolute no-no. Like that didn't exist. Mm. Nor did I even know of anyone that was black and didn't believe up until like four or five years ago when I landed on an atheist discord and discovered folks and finding out. Mm. So, and I'm 32. So it took me like my mid to late twenties to really know what all that meant. Yeah. I remember that the same thing with the homosexuality, like I'm, or at least as far as I can tell, I'm mostly straight, but mostly straight. Yeah. <laughs> I guess everyone's a little gay. No. Yeah. Have you seen Brad Pitt? Oh, I don't, I'm just joking. But like, so like, yeah. And I'm, I just remember thinking like, wow, it kind of sucks that like these people are like destined for hell for just being mm -hmm. themselves. Also, was you mentioned that you weren't allowed to have female teachers in your church. Same with, in my church, you were allowed to have female teachers. And I asked them, I asked a lady and was just finished ministry college and I was reading through the New Testament. Yeah. I said, um, I said, hey, this New Testament verse says that women are not to have authority over a man or to speak in church or to speak. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, that was for a time. That's not for now. Like things, you know, and I was, and it's like, and at, at the time, you know, there were people like whispering in these small churches and they weren't educated, so they couldn't. And I was like, okay, but the actual verse gives an explanation that says, because the woman was deceived first, like Eve was deceived first. That's the reason why she can't speak and have authority over a man. I was like, so right. it gives the reason. I was like, well, always what that goes back to original sin. Yeah. And I, so I said, Wait, so can are we allowed to be are people allowed to be homosexual? Homosexual is it? Is that okay now? No, that's not okay now. Why can women speak in church and women are allowed to pray without their heads being covered and women are allowed to assume authority over a man, which are all New Testament scriptures, and something that Jesus never mentioned, which is homosexuality. That's still a sin. I mean, Paul mentioned right. that, but 
Right. Yeah. And it was that for me, that was a big part of my question as well. And I had a very, I had a gay friend who was closeted for 45 years. I met in ministry college who I saw was getting hurt by these doctrines. So I wanted to investigate and look into them myself. So, right. Okay. So how did, so how did you go from that, the questioning to eventually deconstructing your faith altogether? That was more towards, because, you know, prior to college, I grew up going to church a lot and being active in that. So a lot of my friends grew from there. So it was like this silent questioning, but I still went along with the ride, I guess you could say. And up until, you know, obviously I moved not that far away from home to go to college and whatnot, basically just moved from Southern California to Northern California. And that's when I started to discover different people that weren't within my like little church circle bubble type deal. And through that, it, I mean, I've always been a person, I always felt I've always been a person, I should say, that was comfortable with being in different surroundings. I never, my family was never like vacationers or we never really ventured out of what was the structured norm that me and my sister was raised on. But I've always was very curious. I always was thinking very adventurous, but I never dared myself to, or I was always maybe talked against it. So that finally having that space to, you know, go to school or go to university where I was not expected to be home every day or things like that and did parties and stuff, that allowed me to kind of then not be so fearful of researching what I always had been thinking about. Still didn't dare myself asking anyone. I didn't know who to really ask, to be honest, at that point. So I just silently, you know, pull up the Googler, you know, any kind of Netflix documentary, any type of anything that I could research in libraries or online anywhere, just to kind of get an understanding of what that meant to me as far as why was I questioning or why was I thinking differently? Or maybe this is just that usual phase that, you know, your adult parents tell you, you know, you're going through a phase, blah, blah, blah type deal. I never had that mm. conversation or talk, but I figure, you know, maybe it happened to my, you know, other friends and must be happening to me. But uh, I would say around the age of 19 is when I started to start questioning and identifying more still silently. And it came into a critical point when I lost my biological father, I think at the beginning of my third year of starting college. So that loss was sudden. And uh, I was maybe like... I guess it's been more than 10 years now. Yeah, that loss was sudden. And, you know, I was daddy's girl. We never shared like personal conversations. At that time when he died, I was 20. But we had a silent, mutual, you know, relationship, understanding type deal. Like whatever my dad did, I would do with them. So when he passed and the day of his funeral, I would say afterwards, someone came up to me and, you know, was, you know, church family people, try to offer, you know, comfort and all that stuff. I don't recall who it was, but I remember I just saw red when they said, you know, your father is in a better place and God needs him for his works or something along those lines. And I was just like, and I didn't say anything because I wanted to hit her. So I stayed away from <laughs> saying in my mind. I'm like, what the fuck does God need my dad for? I need my dad. I remember mm -hmm. hearing myself say that. And then from there, that was pretty much the catalyst of me moving into my deconstruction phase, which lasted roughly about six or seven years. Whoa, six or seven years. 
Whoa, I didn't know, did not know that. I'm being blown away a little bit because normally with these interviews, it's, I do lots of research, but because you haven't told the in-depth version of your story, well, you've told these bits, but <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I have uh, here and there, but it's been a yeah, while. <laughs> but not the, I'm like, I have no idea where this is going to go. I don't know if we're going to be laughing or crying. I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. So, wow, that's incredible. I remember you mentioning that you went on jury duty and that was at one stage. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That was like the final nail in the coffin for you? Yes, it was. I remember, yeah, I was about, oh, hi, babe. (laughs) (laughs) I see Um, everyone's comments, by the way. Thank you for everyone for being so active. It's great to see so many people out here supporting Jenna. I see y'all too. I'm just nervous to respond, but hey, I see y'all. And my my wife, I don't think she knows how to use YouTube channel. She doesn't have an account, but she said, tell her I said thank you. So I think she heard you. So she must be watching. Hey, babe. (laughs) Hi. You're welcome. (laughs) Let's see. What was I saying? Oh, yes. When I had my first jury duty assignment. So let's see. This was, I think that was a weird time because I, I recall, you know, being like a few months out of like a really short term dating experience that grew way too fast for my own comfort. Like this guy wanted to like outright marry me. And I was just like, no, I don't even love you. Even though I said it, it was a lot because. I think I I was at an age where, you know, back when I was younger, being in these like little church curl groups where you're in like almost like purity purity culture type, raise the little girl to be a little woman type deals. That's what Mm -hmm. I was always involved in. That's what my mother always put me in. So thinking like, oh, my, when I was a little girl, I thought I'd be married by this age. And I started thinking about having a baby by that age. And by this age, I would be here. And at that point, I was like maybe 27. And I was always, and I was automatically thinking to myself, I'm two years late because <laughs> I was supposed to be married at 25. This sick, Amy toxic, was the same. Right? She's like, oh. she's like, but she was like, I want to be, I want to have my first baby at 21. So she was like super <sighs> oh, young. Yeah. Way younger. (laughs) No, I had a timeline because I had to go get through school and shit. But no, it's that toxic type of deal, toxic type of idea that was fed into me and I hung on to for no reason. And look Mm. at me now, I'm 32 and that shit didn't happen still. But yeah, it was a real point in my life. I remember going to jury duty. I had a friend a few years back that I no longer at that point spoke to, but he gave me the Christopher Hitchens book, God is Not Great. So it was in the truck of my car. It had been in the truck of my car for years. And my mom like was like, oh, you know, you're going to sit in this room until they think they're going to assign you, but you're going to sit there for hours. So you better bring something to read. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna read. I had like school books and stuff, but I mean, who wants to read that? Yeah, um, read that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you know, pull up and park and whatever. And I remember going to the trunk thinking like, okay, I'll pull out one of my textbooks or something. I don't know. And then I found that book in the trunk of my car. So I'm like, oh, okay. It was like that point where I spent a few months not really thinking about, you know, not believing. I was kind of in a weird limbo. Like maybe I'll just believe for a while just to see if I start to really believe that kind of thing. And it was also on the other side was like, well, I don't really give a fuck. But Mm. if I get in trouble, then I'll start praying. (laughs) Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it was like this weird phase. And still at that point, even that was at the tail end of my deconstruction where I did not verbally to anyone, no one around me, family, friends, nothing knew that I was questioning, nor did I ask anyone. Because again, full, again, didn't understand that there was me existed. 
So yeah, I took that book, read it. I think I read it twice and I fumbled through it. It was a long trial. Like I was on it for like two and a half weeks. So I read it twice. And like by the third time of kind of scanning through certain chapters that I wanted to revisit, I think a few days after coming off that trial, really digesting everything that I read, I was like, I don't think I believe anymore. And at that point, that's when I had already finished reading the Bible. I didn't really want to touch it again, nor really look at it because it caused me too much pain to think that I feel like I'm cherry picking everything and I can't agree with everything that's in this book. I can't agree with, you know, how people just have this huge prejudice against those that don't, you know, aren't ideally the sexual orientation, you know, society wants you to be. Even though I never identified as gay myself, it was just hurtful that because I had friends that were. Could not fathom understanding why they would just automatically get a hell pass and murderers that, you know, prayed before they were executed got into heaven just because they prayed about it. That logic never sat well with me. And of course, the slavery shit too. So yeah, after realizing that I wasn't a believer and knowing and understanding what the word atheist meant. I mean, sure, it felt like a soft weight off my shoulders, but I still felt more lost. Like now I really am truly disconnected from this group because this is all I knew. This is all I was taught and my family's all about it. And I don't really have friends. At that point, I really didn't, I didn't have friends. Like if I was in school and I got in group sessions, that was just it. I didn't really make friends. Like I like had zero friends. I just had good coworkers that I occasionally talked to and went out by myself. So I just, yeah, I felt lost. And it was like really a heartbreaking turning point after about a month after that, really sitting with it. And then also realizing at that point, it's been, at that point, it was about like seven years since my father had passed realizing, oh, so I really am not going to see my dad again. So I had to regrieve alone of losing my dad again, knowing that there is no heaven or there's no reason to even believe there is. So that was difficult. So yeah, it was just a heartbreaking process. It it bothers me when a lot of, when people People say that, oh, you just, you deconverted or whatever, or deconstructed because you wanted to sin or something. It sounds like you're the same for me. It was not something you could like, you couldn't like peek under the rug and then just pretend you didn't see what you saw. It's like, you'd just be lying to yourself Yeah. and need to, and you know, and it's like, you, you could pretend, but then you're still just pretending and it's not really a choice. Like belief isn't a choice. You can't choose to believe that gravity doesn't exist so much so that I'd step off a building. Like, um, right. Yeah. And it was also, it was funny for me, it was also the morality that I was taught in church that had me reject it eventually, because I believe that truth was the most important thing. I was taught that truth was honesty and truth were the most important thing. And for me, and it sounds like for you as well, it was, it's, it feels like the moral thing to do to follow the evidence, right? And that's something that a lot Mm -hmm. of Christians don't get is they think that we must want to sin or we must, I don't know have some sort of demon or something. I don't know. No, I didn't. I think I tried really hard, especially with 
striving to really read scripture and pay attention in church and do Bible study and all of that, I tried really hard to be this woman, be this God-fearing, virtuous woman that, you know, Proverbs speaks of and that my mom was the edifice of and that she pushed in both me and my sister. I really wanted that because I was at a loss. I lost the part of me as far as family several years ago at that point. And my mom and my sister are, you know, so much alike. So they had each other when, you know, they wanted to pray together or they always talked every day. I didn't have that kind of relationship with my mom. It was never really, even before I came out, uh, it was never really that closeness. Like she always called me like disgusting names and when I was younger, because I was never, I was a huge, I was a tomboy and I wasn't, you know, the most hygienic little girl. And I always liked playing outside. And I, you know, I liked being like the boys because it was more fun. I hated being in a dress and acting this way. I'm like, it doesn't feel fun. Like I wanted to like do boy shit, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. I always had boyfriends and, you know, she always would, you know, demean me about it and you know that stuck with me growing up that's and i strive to you know make changes to my parents look do be more like her and my sister all that stuff because especially after losing my dad i had no one to really defend me dad would always come in defense of me of certain things that my mom was upset with me about and i no longer had that so i had to learn to be like them mm -hmm. had to learn to you know bury my own thoughts and feelings just to keep the peace. And that's some, uh, unfortunately was a self-defense mechanism that became very toxic. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Did you, when you found that like online community, did that change things for you? Like it, well, it certainly did. I found people that I could feel like safe to ask questions, excuse me, ask questions to, felt safe to have conversations or listen to conversations where it's like actual people discussing things. Joining this Discord server for several months, I didn't show my face. I had like a avatar. I think, I think I had like a picture of my dog as my avatar. Yeah. I mean, it was a cute, fluffy, white little dog. Why not? Yeah. And, oh, and, and I'll reveal something in a moment that no one knows. I mean, people have had hints, but anyway, like I didn't reveal my face for several months and because I was scared and I wasn't sure if this was safe or even right. Like even then I felt like guilty because I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to agree to this? Why am I agreeing? Why does this feel good? I must, this must be bad, but it felt nice to actually make friends. It felt nice to mm. communicate with people. Even if I didn't know them physically, well, like they were, it was people, you know, online like this. And I enjoyed it because I was able to talk or at least felt like being heard. So that meant a lot in the beginning. And after a while, I got brave and showed a couple of close people at that time what I looked like. And that eventually grew to me and a good friend at the time to have a small little podcast called International Free Thinkers. And that lasted for like a year and a half. 
And then that grew into another friend putting my name in the hat to be a host and producer on the ACA. And that lasted for about slightly over a year. And then that grew into <laughs> being me on the Neil 64 Atheist channel where I met most of the people in chat there. And then eventually finding out Tart, which is now Tang, which is, you know, my boo Oz. And yeah, it's been a really fast four years, I think. Wow. Well, I know that everyone I speak to loves you. Like you've got so many supporters here in the chat, as I mentioned before. And it's definitely, I remember you were, I mentioned at the start, you were one of the I remember I was really discouraged about this channel and about like just the growth. And I reached out like, hey, can I come on and do Tang and like, you know, share my story so I can get some viewers over here as well. And you were so encouraging and so helpful. It was really nice. So, so I guess, do you want to move into the part of the story that no one knows about yet? Let me get a few more drinks. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's busy. I'm already spilling a little bit. Yep. I'm ready. Yeah. So... After as many years as it's been, a few years after like doing content and, well, thank you, Theo. I haven't seen you, by the way. I haven't seen you in a while, Theo. And for the record, as of now, at least to my knowledge, my family doesn't know that I produce content or online or if I have purple (laughs) hair. So (laughs) that's totally under wraps. Yeah, yeah, it'd be totally, I know what you mean. It's yeah. like they found it. They're like, oh my God, you've been doing this for years. Yeah. Because I've talked, I haven't referenced their names, but I've talked about them. I haven't shared images mm. of them, but I've like talked of them and shared certain things. So obviously I wouldn't want them to find that, but you know, whatever. But yeah, when I came out to them August of last year and prior to that, I was very adamant about just not coming out to them at all. I felt safe there. I felt, you know, whatever reason I could bring myself to think that I could do it, I just bit myself. I pushed back against my own self and said, no, why? What would be the Mm -hmm. point? I know what's going to happen. I know what they'll say. I know how they'll react. And gosh, I was like 99% right. The other person is how toxic and crazy and ridiculous it became but yeah i came out to them in august and the push was twofold it was me primarily reaching a point where i was breaking and i didn't feel the only comfort i had was and if you recall if any of you know i obviously have a different background now i sit in a chair (laughs) But for years, I was known to always sit on the floor with my bed on the right, on the left side of me. And I was sitting in this little corner of my room, decorated with purple pillows, not much like how it is now, but uh, that would be my setup. This will be my safe space so I can actually have an online presence because this was the only space I felt where I can block out my reality and feel like I'm sane and feel like this was my comfort being able to communicate with people and make friends and also talk my shit, be that online content creator slash activist type person that I didn't know I was capable of or felt that I needed to be, but I just kind of landed in that space. So I was like, okay, well then I'll just go with it. But in the midst of all that, having that, it, it still wasn't enough. And at that point, I think I was about... Oz and I were about six to seven months into our relationship. We had started dating. Oh gosh, I 
feels like I've been with this man forever. I swear I love him. <laughs> Can't even like maybe two years, two Decembers ago, I would say, if I can recall correctly. We've been together for like a, more than a year and a half. So yeah, we started dating. We had first met him coming out to LA in March, March of that later year and or last year, I should say. <clears throat> so, you know, obviously having that chemistry with him and us being in love, it couldn't last virtually. <laughs> as nice as it was, and we didn't have issues, not at all, surprisingly, but we wanted more. So it was first me realizing that I was coming to a breaking point with keeping the secret and not feeling like I'm being my most authentic self. Not, I'm so, only appearing this way online and outside I'm, I have a mask. Is, were you hiding the fact that you were dating Oz as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's why it was twofold. And it was twofold when I came out with, to them August of last year. It was in a public place. It was a new type of brunch spot that we tried. So I kind of tainted that place now <laughs> for them. Anyway, I went back. It was the food. <laughs> so I had, I remember a week prior just having on and off conversations with Oz about, you know, how is he and I moving forward and me being so scared of, you know, obviously wanting to physically be with him and have a life, but how the fuck am I going to do that? But I made the choice to be like, okay, I'm at a point where I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. I don't even feel like this is my skin. I don't feel like me. And there has to be a point where, you know, at, you're 30 something years old and you're still, you know, hiding this. And I don't put anyone down for however young or old you are, you do it as long as you're doing it on your own terms, you know, that's when you know you're ready. I know, and I'm not, I won't share the name, but they're in the chat where it came to a situation where he was outed. And that sucks when you can't do or make the decision for yourself. So I made the decision for myself to let them know that I wasn't a believer. And at first, you know, they were really sympathetic. My mom was a bit harsher in her criticism and questioning, whereas my sister was more tearful and trying to understand why and why I, what caused the damage, what made me angry with God, all that jazz. And I'm like, I'm not angry with something. I don't feel that exists. I tried to give all the explanations people tell me to use and use it this way or all conversations I had listened to over the years, try to utilize all of that knowledge but when you're in the heat of the moment and you're like shaken and you're like, you can't get your fucking words out. It's kind of like you're stuck and in a public place, no less. And, uh, you know, that conversation lasted about maybe 45 minutes. And then it moved into me confessing that, oh, I'm seeing someone, we're in love and I plan on moving. That's they, ugly. Yeah. I just imagine that they would have then blamed all of that on Oz. Like you weren't really deconstructing for seven years or whatever you, that was, Oz has poisoned you. He's like the male equivalent of a succubus, like a, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yes. And as, I mean, it sounds funny, but it actually became nastier. Like it became like as nasty as, you know, being on a racist level because oh, really? like, you know, obviously telling them several times that he's a white man, they 
my mom primarily became really upset at the fact that, you know, using my father against me, your dad would not appreciate his daughter being taken away by a white man because, you know, the white man has always taken so much away from your dad, especially at work and blah, blah, this and blah, blah, that. And, you know, white men don't appreciate black women, all this Mm. much worse things that I could say were said to me. Mm. You know, my mom, not in this first coming out, but I would say about a month and a half after coming out, there was a situation at where, you know, every Friday, or as often as me and my sister could, we would go to our mom's house to just, you know, visit and whatnot. You know, earlier in the year, that April, my stepdad, my mom had remarried. He had passed away. So we made it a point to really like see her, even though that was something routine we did anyway. But, you know, just to check on her, see how she's done. She's a workaholic. That's how she dealt with her grief. Um, Still to this day, that's how she's dealing with her grief. So we saw her that evening. And for three hours, I was attacked, basically called all sorts of names, called the N-word, called a heifer, called a whore, a slut. I, everything you could possibly think of, all just because I was planning on destroying my life, in their words, in California, all for a white man. That's, uh, you know, people often say that, People will often say that you you can't be racist against white people or whatever. I understand their point in that white people aren't oppressed in the most in the majority of places. There are some places definitely, definitely, of course. But but I didn't. I guess I was a bit. I could understand that perspective, but I think what people don't understand is situations like that where it literally is racist. Like like it's literally a immutable characteristic that mm-hmm. Oz is being judged for, regardless yeah. of whether or not he's white or a man or straight or yeah. whatever. Like it's an immutable characteristic, something they can't change and you're judging them for that. Um, yeah, it was purely racist. It was purely just a huge judgment on this guy is stealing you away from us and you are buying it and you are believing in whatever he's trying to poison you with. You're, you drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, in my mother's words. You... <sighs> She said something very disgusting and degrading, like sexually towards me. Like you are offering like all the milk we're and giving him the cow for free, things like that references and actually other references are much more sexualized and worse, even though me and Oz make fun of it now, but in the moment it feels kind of weird. It's that old, old saying, there's no hate like Christian love. Um. Right. But <laughs> even so, like, that's fine. I don't give a fuck about Christian love because I know that shit's hateful compounded was that it was from my mother and my sister yeah. like gradually my sister got worse with me my mother from the start really horrible yeah oh so did they did it became did it become did the issue of coming out was it most did it move away from were they essentially more offended that you re, that you now not no longer believed in god or were they more offended that you're running off to be with a white guy Honestly, they were more offended that I was running off to be a white guy. Yeah. Wow. It was more That's... that. Do you because... think that was if it was like a, if Oz was like a, had like a nice little side part and a blaze jacket and went to your local church, do you think they would have the same issue? Or do you think it was because he's like a white guy who's an atheist? I'm not, no, I'm not going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I think it was purely because he was a white guy and an atheist. Wow. He was white. 
and the fact that there's no God in this added mm. to the, you know, the pot. And, you know, as disgusting as that sounds, that's what I believe. And I, that's exactly what it was because it barely came down to them asking me or questioning me about my faith. Most times, most times it was about, you know, okay, what are your plans with this? Why are you doing this? You're giving up your near six figure job. You're giving up this perfect insurance. You're giving up your home and, you know, and all of that narrative, they, for the, from September through December, made very interesting choices and actions to drive me away from my decision. And it, and I say it like that because they were so, there was such a mindfuck and such a deceptive way of manipulating me again. Because I've always been easily, I've always felt, even though I never really recognized it until recently, felt that I was very receptive and doing what I was told. Because if I had a thought about something or a decision that I wanted to do or a change in my career or a change in my education or something, I was always talked to very harshly against it. And that, no, this is the right path. This is the, you know, the more secure path. You need to go this way. Why can't you be like your sister? Yada. So mm-hmm. I, I stuck with that. And, you know, as in, in the midst of that, already dealing with my trauma of feeling like I'm alone in this three-part family, where it's just me, my mom, my sister. I'm like, I have no other choice but to just cave and give in and do what they say, because that's where it was quiet for me. That's where I could have peace and no one's yelling at me. And I'm like, okay, I do this. Okay, I do that. And always at their heel, doing whatever they requested and following whatever they wanted. So the fact that they strived really hard to pull strings and manipulate me and my decision was not only just, was showed my strength, I guess, in all of it, because Obviously, I'm here now in Indiana, <laughs> but it, it was very eye-opening seeing how much I did not mean to them. Like, I, I felt that, I felt and still feel I don't have their respect at all. I don't know if they really love me because they would question me if I actually really loved them. And they would often say continuously, especially my mother, that I didn't love them because I would not be making the decisions I'm making if I love them. Like that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> it's I, it, I cannot underestimate how hard that must've been for you to be the kind of person who wants to keep the peace and make sure everyone's happy to have people actively like using that against you to try and get you to change for something that means so much to you i yeah that that must have been so i mean so difficult i know i notice it not to talk about amy again but i noticed it with amy that with her family a lot of for a long time people would use the fact that she would go with whatever else everyone else wants to do Hmm. they would use that and even i found myself doing that as well where like we'd watch the movie I wanted to watch rather than the movie she wanted to watch because I was more excited about it or I pushed the case for it more. And for Amy, it was a learning curve to to change that. 
about herself <sighs> and she'd like go like no i want I this feel you amy i'm still <laughs> and, learning <laughs> and uh, and but it sounds like for you like you it was like a it had to be like a light switch in which you were like no i'm making this huge step i am leaving all this safety i'm running off with this you know oz like it must have that must have been so incredibly hard not to you know and then have them push back so hard against that i would be every time that we would go out together i would be extremely cautious thinking that maybe i should take my own car or maybe i should just meet them there and when I found my situation is that I wasn't taking my own car and I was riding with my sister or all three of them and a, a talk occurred and that talk being them, you know, still questioning me, me still re-answering all the damn fucking questions they asked me prior because they don't listen or they just want to, you know, string along their own narrative or me not even having the opportunity to relay or tell my responses because, you know, just sitting there being attacked by two people. I'm not that much of an aggressive person. Like I can, <clears throat> excuse me, defend myself, but against my mom and my sister, especially with the kind of relationship I had with them and the type of defense mechanism I built up, unfortunately on my own to just be in peace with them was difficult for me to be defensive and I can say that the only time, the last time I remember crying in front of them was when I initially came out to them in August. After that, I didn't allow them to see me cry. And is not, and I'm not saying I haven't cried. I've had days, weeks, every week, something just near panic attacks, near just high anxiety all the fucking time. You know, it, it would be like, I've had my own issues with my past job, just high anxiety going to work because the department was just shit. But even having high anxiety going home, I would take hours trying to get home, not trying to get home, I should say. I would literally just park somewhere else and stay and sit in my car for like two hours. Well, um, yeah, often you would join deep drinks to chant and you're like, oh, I'm on my way home from work. And I'm like, are you driving or are you in like a parked car somewhere? Like, <laughs> More yeah. than likely parked car somewhere. And yeah. because... Even though I didn't live with my mother anymore, I, sh I owned a home with my sister. That high anxiety. And then, of course, her having, she was newly wedded. She ha has a husband. Now he lived with us. It was just uncomfortable all the time. And all mm -hmm. I could do was rush to my room and just sit in my corner of my room and have my door closed for the rest of the night and just be that way. I made sure maybe I had enough to eat because <laughs> I didn't want to come out of my room. It was, I lived that way for quite a few months uh, until I moved because I just was too fearful of just being in their presence or having being talked to or having to explain myself. And th those times were really ugly when I had to like, just, mm. you know, belittling me, my decisions, calling me a fool, calling me whore, all the stuff. And, you know, I would, I have several recordings of our maybe hours long conversations from my mother and my sister of them attacking me. And the only person I shared them with has been Oz. He's heard it all. Although you have a Patreon tier. If people spend a hundred dollars, they'll get to view, listen to the, no, I'm kidding. Wouldn't that be a... I mean, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get a cut. No, it's... no I, I, and it's funny you say that because I actually do have 
a sense or a plan of sharing some, oh, wow. maybe at better, maybe at like future content that I do. I don't know. I'm not in that space comfort yet to kind of truly make that a choice or a decision, but I still have the recordings and, you know, I could do a lot with it because, you know, it's everyone's story is unique. And this is just one of those unique levels of toxicity that a person deals it, or deals with. It's incredibly unique, but unfortunately, incredibly relevant to a lot of people. I think. Exactly. I think, like the Theo said, something really amazing. They said, really important to be able to check yourself and recognize when limits are crossed, and you have to protect yourself against the harmful influences. I really appreciate that. I really like that. Yeah, and it took me a while to identify even that. If I did or not, I'm not, I can't really recall because I've spent some time now just kind of blocking out all that trauma and just rethinking about it yesterday and today. It's partly why I couldn't sleep. It was just, it was been really hard because it's now, you know, it's this weird, I now still feel this weird expectation of satisfying them because since being here, Neither of them have called me. I've always been the one to try to initiate contact, but it's only been through text. I'm still too fearful to even hear their voice or call them. I think I've called my mom once or twice, and then my sister once. And even with, and I say my sister got worse with me. She truly did because when I, that one time I called my sister, it was like maybe she was in the middle of work, about to go to lunch or whatever. And you know, the usual kind of casual start of a conversation like, oh, how are you? How's it moving? Blah, blah, blah. And then she immediately hits with, you know, oh, where are you? What's the space? Or something that she asked about where I was living and something else that was really like her. I know how my sister and my mom interact. My sister was fishing. And she does that in order to, you know, obviously translate that over to my mother. And I know this because every time I would relay something to my sister, my mom would attack me about something maybe a couple of days after and reference something. I know I specifically just told my sister mm. and not told her. I'm like, I'm not stupid. And then I would, I, there's been one or two times I approached my sister about that and she would deny it. And I'm like, I'm not dumb. I specifically mm. told you this. I know I didn't tell mother this. So, and, you know, they always accuse me of being the liar and the deceiver. They lied and deceived me quite a bit in the last several months. They lied and deceived me about my, about, you know, pushing me to take my name off the home that me and my sister bought. We bought our parents' home. We had lived there about five years. Or I've lived there about five years. And the deception was her going to our real estate person wanting to take my name off the property because that was just her push to say like, okay, well, I'm really going to do this. This is real life. You still want to make this decision. This was what they were doing. And I, it like, we're going to sell, we're going to sell the house because you ruined everything and you're running off. To, my sister to, put yeah. the house on the market. That's crazy. That she put I the remember house on the market. Yeah. I remember calling you up once. I think I think it was to talk about something. And also you spoke to Amy briefly to like give Amy some advice or yeah. something. And I remember the real estate agent came in and talked to you and you're like, oh yeah, this room's done. Like, and you're talking to them briefly because and I was like, what's going on? And you're like, oh yeah, we're selling my my sister's put the house on the market because she's angry with like with me. 
I'm like, and the this reason is like that next she... level manipulation. <laughs> That's it. Doesn't end there because like, the reason kudos why... to your sister for being so petty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it doesn't even end there because the reason why she made that choice, which was a lie, or the choice is a lie, and her reasoning was my mom had approached me that one Friday that I was at her house and they berated me for three hours and initiate it initiated as her saying, you're forcing your sister to make a difficult decision because if you leave and we decide to want to take your house, take your name off the house, that would drive the mortgage rates up higher, which means it's forcing your sister to pay more mortgage a month. And, you know, in the midst of being in trauma and not understanding everything, I don't have a real estate background. I don't fucking know how shit works. I'm like, all right, you tell me about it. I'm going to kind of trust you, I guess. I don't know. And I had at that point really didn't feel a reason for my mom to lie to me at that early point. And so that did hurt me because I remember several, I remember a month prior to that, telling my sister, I don't want to take anything from you. I don't, I'm not asking a portion of the house. You don't have to buy me out. Like I know how much it pays to live in fucking California. I am fine with taking what I have. I have a savings and whatever money I get from me leaving my job. I was fine with that. And yeah, and that's what so I did. So you're going, really. You're, really? So you walked, you just gave your interest of the house to your shit. Your, wow. Yeah. Oh my. So I already had said that because that was me feeling terrible for coming out and being who I was. That is just that that is if I was your sister I would be incredibly thankful. That is like that is you essentially gave her a house. Like that's what you've done. Yeah. Nothing and um, nothing's good enough. No. And you know, during, yeah, I remember telling her that. And so they constructed that lie of saying her, the mortgage rates would go up. And so that forced her to sell the house because she couldn't afford her on her own. Albeit, I don't know why her lazy ass husband didn't have enough money to help support her, but whatever. So they, she put the house on the market. It lasted on the market for about a month. It did not sell. We had a couple of buyers that she on her own disagreed to their offer even though I'm still co-owner, this house is shared 50-50. You still need to go by me on these decisions. But all decisions Ooh. she made herself didn't consult me whatsoever. I even had to sign a paper expressing that I would not receive any funds or any money if this house would sell. Like I had to sign my paper on that legally to say I would not get anything. But the house you, didn't sell because she didn't accept the two offers and we took the house back off the market. And then what finally put the nail on the coffin was a week before I was to move, they had their final like big, you know, argument with me. And I'll kind of touch on that because it was really disgusting and ugly, especially on my sister's side. But a week before I was set to, you know, move out and move away, my sister was like, oh, I'm setting up an appointment for you to meet with the real estate person to sign your name off the property. And I have to pay $200. So she paid that $200 just to get my name off of the property and that's it. 
no mortgage rate went up, nothing happened. She pays the same amount today. And I remember telling this to Oz and then I sat back and I was like, wait, do you mean to tell me this was never the case two months ago when she put the house on the market? That was just their ploy to deceive me and to make me feel like this is real life. You're damaging your sister. You should stop what you're doing. And I broke down because it didn't occur to me then only at that point where I was like, they created this huge lie in order to fuel my decision to not go. And I just felt so disgusted. I, it was, yeah, it was a dirty move. It was completely dirty. And I felt like they have no level of respect for me. I don't even know if they love me. I don't even know if they even cared to even consider what the hell they were doing, even though to them, what the hell I was doing was the worst and put them in the worst mm. detriment. Because from my sister's point of view, the mere fact, and many will laugh at this, especially those that are have legal knowledge, the mere fact that I didn't give myself give my sister two years notice before moving somewhere. Two years notice. Years. Yeah. Two like with a Y. With a y. <laughs> 24 months. The fact that I didn't give her 24 months notice of me moving <laughs> was her fuel to be like, you are fucking me over so she, because she didn't give you i'm just googling because i'm not good at math 730 days notice because <laughs> you didn't give 730 days notice i gave her you bitch channel how could you do that? i know right i gave her <laughs> at best six months six months oh how can I you give her 26 months. weeks notice oh my gosh it's <laughs> And the oh, fact that she man. was like, you agreed to give me two years notice if you ever decided to move. I'm like, two fucking years ago, I wasn't even with anyone. Two fucking years ago, I didn't even plan on telling you that I was an atheist or anything. Two fucking years ago, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing with my life. <laughs> two fucking years oh, ago is when well. COVID happened. What the fuck? <laughs> yes, I, like, like, we're, we're in the post-COVID times now. It's a different world. Right. Right. Like, who the fuck is to say, oh, in two years, I'm about to leave out. But, you know, COVID just happened. I could die. Like, you really are just going to harbor this hate and deceive me because I didn't give you two years notice. What if I had, you know, randomly died and left you with a mortgage? Like, would you be mad at me then because I died? Like, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. you, I gave you six you, months. You can't. Yeah, you can't. The six months is a lot, by the way, too. But it's like you can't, you can't. Pe it's like nothing is at that stage. It's like nothing, you, 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 nothing is satisfactory. I, so, uh, not to talk about myself again, but I am going to apologize, to everyone. But I think this is a good point. My, my since we've had little Atlas, we were like, you know, when we're trying for, we're trying for IVF for like five years, and we're like, what the fuck are our values? Like now that we don't believe in jesus or like now we're not convinced of the existence of god like what like is it okay to lie and steal and cheat and murder like what like what are our morals like <laughs> we kind of think and analyze that like why can't we you know what's important to a life what is life like a, a do should we just be hedonistic and all this so i spent a lot of time thinking about it and i wrote down like my parental values like what i think creates a good life and it's like things like 
honesty, kindness, intellectual such critical thinking on big issues, creativity, mm -hmm. like th things like that, like things that I think are valuable to live like a good life, balance. And Amy agreed with like most of my points, like she well, she liked all, all points, but one thing she put down there that I never would have considered putting down there, but I can see how relevant it is for someone who isn't like an obnoxious, loud person like myself who kind of gets his way by throwing tantrums is <laughs> is a self-care so amy wrote down self-care and he she wanted to impart to atlas self-care that it's okay to not people please it's okay to take a break it's okay to make sure you're getting you're recharging and you're and you're you're making sure you're okay first because you can't be you can't be holy you can't be shit David, I love you, but I need to meet Amy in real life. I know. I she, need to, she gets nervous coming on here, but we should get you guys on a show together. But she, she it's funny. And even tonight, she's uh, she got invited out to a 40th birthday party. It's like to go have some drinks at a bar. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I feel bad about leaving Atlas. I'm like, no. I was like, you go. I was like, I can take care of Atlas. I've got a bottle. Like, you go have a couple of drinks, have a good time. Like, because you need to like, and she's like, but I feel bad about leaving the bed. I'm like, don't feel bad. Like you've got to take care of, you got to make sure you're recharging in all your other areas as well. Not just mm -hmm. like your life isn't just baby now. So I'm, I kind of thought, I'm like, you go have a good time. Right now. Go have fun. Go drink with your friends. So yeah, I think, so we're having a boys night tonight, Atlas and myself and. Oh, um, nice. Boys night. Yeah. So, but yeah. So do you resonate with that? The self-care, the. Like, are you trying to find that's a valuable thing to, to have? Yes. I've always recognized that being valuable. I just never knew how to navigate it and know what to do with myself. I always keep saying, I'm even to Oz, I'm like, babe, I'm boring. I don't know what to do. Like, I like, yeah, I can make cool shit and I like doing graphic stuff. I like, you know, chatting to people, even though I have a hard time talking to people. I'm a, it's so weird. Like I, I can easily have or do this whole personality thing. Even though I don't really see myself as such. I was like, yeah, I can do a stream. I can talk about shit, whatever. And people want to hear what I got to say. Cool, I guess. But I don't see myself as something big or wanting to be big or just, I'm just another human trying to relay a story that I'm sure someone could relate to. And they can see me and be like, oh, that's a good example of someone that gets me. I never had that. I needed that. But, you know, as far as the self-care thing, now, oh, God, if Dave was listening. I know he'll listen later. But if we've had, we more or less had this kind of similar conversation like a week or two ago where the first couple of weeks being here, not that I didn't want to be here. I felt the relief of actually being in a different space and feeling and seeing the love of my life physically every day, that's cool. But, you know, it was rough because I was so used to having to adhere to someone else or follow this set of rules or not be out, even though I'm like 32. Just, you know, be felt really constricted and felt like mm -hmm. if I did something crazy, like change my hair color, I would be talked about or, you know, things like that. And I remember Oz and I sitting at a restaurant and he said, you know, you're no longer having to need to check your phone or communicate with someone saying, you know, you're going to be here or you'll be home at this time. Or I, cause I always had to do that. I always still mm -hmm. had to do that. 
and it's like you had to have did you like have to have permission to just be yourself and it wasn't me even asking for permission it was like this is my this is i'm offered this permission to let them know what the fuck i'm doing all the time that's crazy like and you know he would Oz said to me like you now you can feel free and do whatever the fuck you feel is good for you and you don't have to rush and i had planned on trying to do my solo show again and all this other stuff but i wasn't mentally and emotionally giving myself the relief or the break i'm more further out now and i'm i'm a lot better than i was 2 weeks ago but i you know first couple days i started crying every other day after that i would be tearful or be apologetic to oz about this that whatever because i couldn't navigate even though i loved the shared space that we have i couldn't navigate the shared space because i felt out of place for not having to be at someone's heels or having to do what someone asked me to do it was like had you oh, had you I'm ever lived person. have you yeah i know <laughs> Have you ever, I'm only laughing because it's like, I'm like, oh my God, it's so, it's crazy. But have you, not laughing at you, laughing with you. Have you, no, I, had you ever lived outside of family, like a family environment? Like, had you ever had your own place or lived with friends or anything like that? If college counted, maybe like a year. Okay. But yeah. aside that, no. Yeah, it must be. And even when you're in college, you're following the college's rules, right? You're studying and you're right. going to classes and you yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it, I feel like this, I feel like this is going to be a, like a long, fun couple of years for you as you like grow to relearn how to kind of be free. And... Just not only that, just relearning me. Because mm. even prior to this, prior to even coming out, it was not but a short time before like maybe earlier last year or late the year before that where I finally figured out my identity figured out who I was because so much of you know of Christian faith and whatnot your life is wrapped around in it you're not you are not your own person you are living breathing through God's you are God's vessel basically the, this life is not your own all that jazz so mm -hmm. I'm like okay well finding out like oh do i really want these things because i want them or do i want these things because i was raised and told that i should want these things mm. figuring that shit out you know i had on and off thought about having kids i had on and off thought about wanting to be married and i've i'm not saying i settled like i've just figured out like i don't want that or i don't feel that it's for me and then for a while, it felt really wrong to say that because probably that, what do you call it? Oof, the term you use, the, oh, fuck me. I can't think of it right now. Cognitive dissonance. It was part of yeah. that cognitive dissonance that you were supposed to have this life. You were supposed to have this, that, whatever. The crazy thing about that, I viewed my cognitive dis dissonance through my mom and my sister's eyes during that final week of me leaving because they would be in tears after you know the yelling didn't work anymore they would be in their tears saying you know i love you but i will only want the best and 
you deserve to have a home. You deserve to make this amount of money and you deserve to have everything you ever want in life. And I'm like, you are just telling me materialistic things that you think I want or that you had strived to put me on this path to think that this was making me happy. And it hasn't been making me happy. Yeah, I made great money in my last job, but I was fucking miserable and I was striving to find a way out. I didn't want mm -hmm. that position anymore. And the people in it and how I felt as a nurse, not really feeling like I was doing my best as a nurse and just feeling like I just wanted to call off or, and I don't call off work. I don't like doing that. I want to enjoy the career I've chosen, even though I really mm. didn't really choose this career. I was told to be a nurse. Luckily I mm. fell in love with it. So I didn't even choose yeah. to be where I am right now. As far as career wise, I was told be a nurse. So I became a nurse and luckily I like it. <laughs> I love it. I can see, I can see, I imagine because you're so caring, you'd be a great nurse. Is, do you feel like your family just doesn't listen to you? They don't. I know they don't. Like they don't Especially my mother. You. No. They yeah. Don't. Mo most of that is built around, you know, their religion, the faith, following that and all that stuff. Other parts of it is that our personalities are hugely different. I am, they are very two strong personalities. And when they're triggered, they can be really ugly. And my mother, even though she pretends to strive to want to talk to me and have sister mother moment, it's nothing but her preaching. I may get maybe two minutes of something and she'll take the rest of the whole hour to say whatever mm -hmm. the fuck she wants to say Yeah, and bring up every little dirt unrelated to the conversation or the situation to make me feel bad or make me think critically or harder in her eyes so that she can then guide me in the direction that she wants. And as mm. far as my sister, I, and this hurts because I thought I could have a stronger bond with her. And also mostly thinking that because the closeness and age and us growing up in the same, you know, life, time, whatever. So it's not like we're only three years apart. But as she grew, grew older and grew closer to my mother, I knew I was losing that trust to securely tell her my feelings. Especially when I started to notice that my feelings were being regurgitated to my mother's ears. And I'm like, well, th there goes the sacred bond of sisters. Like, I, I don't understand why you would have to play the middleman, even though you say and stress that you don't like being the middleman and, oh, and yell at me and say, you and mommy should talk. I'm like, well, you purposely still play the role that you hate mm. so much, apparently. For why? And, you know, it, it hurts because I love them both, but I'm so scared of them purely because I don't think I can mentally, emotionally handle that right now especially mm -hmm. with the deception and the trauma and the ugliness that they showed to me and one of the major ugly parts from my sister was it was new year's day and we went out to dinner 
and dinner sucked. It sucked because the food was first. It sucked because the food was horrible. <laughs> this place my mom and mom wanted to go to in this really exclusively expensive area, and the food was shit. And Is then it it like one of those places where the food's like this big and like fifty. No, hours. it was fairly oh, okay. good portions, but it came out cold, and then my fish huh. smelled fishy, uh, and uh, their food good. wasn't good either. And so, yeah, anyway, that was that. And then it just got worse because then my mom started to initiate, you know, the typical conversation about my decision. So I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be one of those nights. All right, fine. Fuck it. Here we go. So that's when I, and from there, I've noticed my sister being and approaching me differently. And it really hit home for me that night. She got really ugly with me. She started calling me names. She started, you know, after my mom shed it more crocodile tears about, you know, I can't make you change your mind. I just want the best. I pray that you find God, all that yeah, stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I shouldn't or didn't deserve to be apologetic, but I would, you know, console her and try and keep as much peace as possible, still not showing tears, still, you know, I didn't raise my voice at all to them or if I or yell back because I was just like, I, it's, Maybe I'm trying to keep the upper hand in this when I think back about it and say, oh, I didn't yell or, oh, I didn't say anything ugly. So I got the upper hand. I won or whatever. I don't feel that way, but fuck it. But that night she just was everything I tried to say to my mom as far as feeling sorry that she felt hurt for my decisions. My sister was like, don't believe her. She's lying. She doesn't love you. She's this. She's that. She's just she's still going to make a decision. Would she yeah. say that in front of you or to her secretly? Right. Right. As close as this painting is, that's where she would be and me facing my mom. Just right there. Ignoring the fact that I'm there, just yelling and saying, don't trust her. Don't say this. Don't believe her when she says this, whatever. And uh, I, I just, my brain course, goes to, yeah. my brain goes to like wanting to be just as petty. So like when she's saying that, talking to the mom, like, don't believe her either. Like, God, I, that makes me so angry. But anyway, yeah. keep going. What got worse is after, you know, my mom said what she wanted to say as far as, you know, bestowing her motherly wisdom and God and all that. I, unfortunately, because how we went out that night is, you know, my sister, I drove my sister to our mom's house and our mom drove us to the restaurant. So when we left the restaurant, we went back to my mom's and then I drove me and my sister back home. It's a 30 minute drive. 20 minutes of it, dead silence, obviously. I had, I mentally and emotionally had about fucking enough. So I didn't want to say anything. Oh, my geez. sister was, you know, my, I was pissed that my sister was being so ugly. And then finally she says something. I can't recall exactly what, but she was, you know, pushing these questions or saying, you know, it's going to be your fault, basically. And oh, I, there's so much I'm still recalling. It's, traumatic basically saying you know why would you want to be away from your family this is your only family all you have is one parent and you know you can never be as close to checking on mommy if something happens and if something happens i'm gonna blame you because it's your fault for any health anything that occurred she literally said anything health-wise that happens to my mother she's gonna blame me because she's stressing at the fact that one of her daughters is gone or whatever and yeah, it's a big ass thing. And so after still having her berate me, 
where I'm merging off the freeway and then she's still berating and then she yells more and she's like, pull over. And I'm like, I haven't said anything. And I figured she wanted me to like just pull over so I can actually talk. Cause you know, me being kind of trying to be calm, going through already three hours, four hours at that point of you guys being toxic to me. I'm traumatized enough as it is and just regurgitating all this shit. Now I'm trying to drive us home back safely in the middle of the fucking night while you're yelling in my ear in, in the passenger seat. She's like, pull over. So I pulled over thinking like, okay, she wants me to actually actively talk. So that's safe because I can't actively talk to you while you're yelling at me while driving. And I barely get to a complete stop. And I'm almost slightly in the middle of the road trying to merge over to the closest lane I could get where it's like a curve. And she opens the door and jumps out of the car. She opens the door, jumps out of my car, slams it. She's like, get the fuck away from me. I don't fucking know you. You don't love me. You don't fucking love us. And I'm walking home. So she, in her two-inch heels, starts walking the fuck home. And we're like, by car, we're like two minutes away. Walking on feet, it would take her like an hour. Probably more because she's in heels. I, you know, have a mini freak out because, you know, my sister is nearly in the middle of the road trying to get over and she's walking the fuck out and she walks away from my car. And I'm like yelling at her to come back. And then I start crying because I, I don't know what to do. I'm already kind of panicked enough from the whole ordeal of the night. And so I try to slowly drive after her. She still yells at me. She's like, like at the loudest top of her voice I've ever heard my sister. I don't fucking know you. Get away from me. Just get the fuck. Everything. Just everything. And so I call my mom. I'm like, please. I'm like crying. Like, please, mom, talk to Candace. She got out of my car. She's walking home. Can you please tell her to get back in the car? Blah, blah, blah. And my mom can hear my sister yelling, cursing at me. And it lasts for a few minutes and there's like cars driving by looking at us and stuff. And it's literally the middle of the night. It's like 1230 something. And my mom finally calls my sister down, has her get in the car. My sister gets in the car. She yells at me again saying, I'm only getting in the car because mommy told me to or whatever. And then I'm in tears and shaken up because I'm like, I can't believe she fucking did that. She purposely endangered herself because she's that fucking mad at me and was willing to walk home in the middle of the night. And after like some calmness and my sister's like turned away from me and whatnot. And then my mom's like says something along the lines of we can't treat each other like this. We can't do this to each other. We're better than this. And I'm thinking she's saying all that because of how my ugly my sister was and how she heard how ugly my sister was towards me. No. But she wasn't saying that. <laughs> what was she saying? She was saying that towards me. She no. was saying, see Mira, <laughs> we can't be this way. See what the harm is causing. I'm like, I didn't just fucking jump out of a moving car yelling at the top of my lungs at my sister. Almost putting not her, but myself in danger. And you're saying I shouldn't be doing this to us? 
I felt like I wanted to faint. I'm like, you don't respect me. You can do anything and everything towards me and act so ugly in so many ways. And yet I'm still getting beat on. And I haven't done anything close, not even raised my voice to either of you and all of this. And you still beat me up with it. I call, I, after getting home and, you know, being in my room, I called Oz and told him. And yeah, it was a long night. That was pretty much it for me. It, I'm actually lost for words here. I am shocked. It's also great that you have Oz to talk to because I feel like Oz is the perfect person to talk to in those situations. He's um, the only one I talked, spoke to and shared everything. Like I didn't record that because I was too frantic and nervous and scared. But yeah. the beratement I received in the car with all three of them as we were coming from the restaurant that evening to my mom's house, I recorded. It's like nearly an hour of my mom being racist, my mom saying all the shit she wants to say, everything. Interesting. And also my sister why, being ugly in that too. Why, I have some ideas myself, but why do you think your family is acting like this? I never, I don't know if I truly identify it as this. I know Oz has identified, especially after meeting them, that he feels my mother is narcissistic and my sister is some level of control, manic person. I don't know if I can put a label on it or I just know clearly that it's they've always, for as long as I can remember, been manipulative and controlling. And, you know, I've, in the time, in that time, I was, I've been speaking with the therapist and everything, and I need to get back with her because now reliving this shit, I'm kind of needed to talk. But I've been needing that for me anyways. I need to finally address things about me that I've ignored for years. But anyway. I've spoken to you about this before, but I'm a huge advocate for, I think everyone should go to therapy. I go now just for like a tune up every now and again, just to get my thoughts in order. I think it's super important, especially if you're going through what you're going through. And it's I think there's no shame in it. No, I, I, and I certainly don't feel shame. I just, in the transition, the move and trying to adjust, I just haven't got back to it and I need to. And mm. probably within the next week or so, I, I definitely will. Now that I've kind of have like some stableness and feeling a lot less anxious than I was at the start. But yeah, I, I, just I, don't, some... I don't even, th I don't even think, I don't even like that wording. I don't even think you need to, I would just even say, you don't even need to do anything, Jenna. You just need to be your, your own awesome self, but it would be helpful if you did go to therapy. It would make it make things better. Mm, I guess that's, I think, yeah, that's definitely a better way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's it, it, sometimes life, especially in these like times can become so, so toxic in, in like mindsets. You know what I mean? Things can become so like intense every decision feels like the end of the world i don't think i don't think i think what you've done is great it's good steps forward someone said indiana probably seems pretty fire it seems pretty fire pretty, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Brandy. i've enjoyed i've experienced 
snow for the first time like two, three weeks ago. And oh, I cool. made I made Oz play in the snow with me. No, he enjoyed it. He enjoyed it because he simply enjoyed the fact that I looked and appeared happy. And I was. Yeah. I've never touched snow and to feel it fall on my face and eat it and do all the stupid shit people do that never did snow before. It was I it was so powerful that I classic broke down and cried. I think actually he has, he has a video of me on his phone because he was like being cute and stuff and videoed me of my like Jenna's first experience with snow. Blah, blah, blah <laughs> you know, being funny. And it was funny and it was and once I like walked out of the apartment building and felt the snow on my feet and falling and then I just heard like silent wind and it feeling cold but I didn't and like all of that and all this rush of emotion both good and bad just washed over me and I just kind of like bent over and started crying like weeping and then I guess he wow yeah it was crazy it was just but like, was it nice snow or was it like because I remember the first time Amy and I saw well the first time Amy saw snow was on our honeymoon and we like pulled over when it was like sleeting and it was like slush on the side of the road and we're picking up slush on the side of the road like wow <laughs> and Amy's like ah oh. wow. and then and then when it actually did finally snow we're in New Zealand and when it did finally snow Amy ran outside and she was like out there for ages and I was like it's too cold out there so I was I went out for a bit but then she was literally out there for like an hour sitting just in this like on the deck outside the snow and I'm like yeah. inside like drinking wine by myself like on my computer like on our honeymoons. I think I I, don't, I won't speak for Amy but I know for me in that experience and I can only imagine because we were out there for a while too because I wanted to be and he wanted for me to enjoy whatever the fuck I wanted to enjoy about it until I got too <laughs> yeah. fucking cold because I kept I didn't have like this man his body temperature is fucking ridiculous like he's hot all the time so he yeah, doesn't have yeah. gloves I'm like how come you don't have gloves like <laughs> i can't and then i was like fuck it i'll just touch it and whatever and my hands got really cold anyway i know for me the breakdown was and i think i said this to him too like i'm you know realizing my age realizing the hard work i did put into like school my career things like that and following a path that I know I didn't completely set for myself and feeling like I've become so disconnected from me and not knowing who me was. And now I'm in this place and making these choices for me, about me, and not for anyone else, but what I want. And it's a whole new experience, just like experiencing the snow. Like having that realization of I'm here because this is different. I mean, it snows in certain parts of California, but not where I lived. And so this new different feel just came rushing to me and me realizing how much of my life I did not live. And that's what made me break down because I finally felt like, oh, I'm living my life now. Yeah. How does it feel? real <laughs> like it, it's not perfect in any way shape or form like you know we me and Oz lean on each other support each other you know we're solid you know as far as in our, in our relationship we're you know 
But, you know, the day to day, him with his work and me like transitioning, getting used to my new job and managing a studio shared space. It feels different, but I'm more relaxed and I don't feel like I have to be like or present a certain way all the fucking time. It feels real. It feels like, oh, people do feel this struggle on a day to day basis or, oh, people do feel like fuck it, they just do whatever they want without second thinking about it. Like I had to all the time, constantly. Like I can just walk the fuck out or drink some wine or just not come home or stay in all, what the fuck ever. And that feels real. It feels like what any normal human would do without even having to really think about it. Yeah. But I always thought about it. Yeah. It's it's amazing that like we take that for granted, but like it's amazing that that is normal, like <laughs> for a 32-year-old woman, but yeah. it's like for you it must be so new. I have a roommate who works in re- retail and he's like he kind of does the the rosters and stuff and he's like, "Oh, it's really good working for our company because when someone asks for annual leave, like cuz we have required annual leave in Australia, if someone asks for annual leave, I let them take their holidays." So I'm like, that's not like a, that's not a bonus. That's like the default. Like you're not doing anything impressive there. You're just being like, you're, gotcha. you're so brainwashed yeah. by like the crappy company you work for that <laughs> like you think like basic rights are like a bonus, like, or if someone's sick and they can't come in, I don't, t- I don't hold it against them. Wow. Like, like amazing. Like, okay. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. I didn't want to, mm-hmm. sorry, what were you going to say? No, no, I don't think I wasn't say anything. You're fine. Go ahead. I was gonna quickly mention I but like for you know, we got so many of your your community here, but for those who aren't subscribed to Tang, I just want to shout out the channel. You guys are doing some really cool stuff coming up. I know when you get back into the swing of things, you've got your own kind of channel as well, Black Female Atheist. You're not posting on there, but you like get tagged on there, and you might post again mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. And of course subscribe for some fun tweets or to follow jenna on Twitter. that is where to go i love that you got like it's f- some flowers is your uh, oh yeah your... he got me those flowers oh. from, yeah for you know celebrating me working <laughs> or you nice. know just it was just yeah random and something like he bought me a coffee one morning like during my first week of work and got me flowers so and he oh. never bought me flowers before so i still have them they're dried so I guess his plan is to take me to like a home craft store and put it in like a some type of clear like frame or like something. Like resin, like a resin. Store, yeah. Like a yeah. Yeah. That'd yeah. Cool. So really cool. save the first flowers he ever got me. <laughs> wow. Also, someone asked before, where's the super chat button? D asked. We don't have a super chat button because we don't have a thousand subscribers. We're trying really hard to get yep. a thousand subscribers. I'm pumping out shorts every single day i'm spending like five hours editing a short every day now because i'm on maternity leave so i'm editing then i do bottle feeding then i do nappies then i do like and so if you want to see this channel have super chats and make it a bit more easy for me to financially support the copious amounts of alcohol i buy and also (laughs) getting some more important guests and i might be doing some traveling around to do some in-person interviews subscribe if you like kind of this content and also i see so many regulars on here when we do the charity stream, I'd love to have, you know, you guys on like doorknob head D like all you guys that come on regularly. I'd love to have you guys on to just kick it and just hang out and just chat. And of yeah. course, deep drinks is available on Spotify as well. If you like listening to the show as well, but I'm a fan. 
<laughs> I know. And so <laughs> you're so you're one of the biggest supporters ever. It's it's amazing. I did another thing I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on is I wanted to know if we if you got enough time I could show a quick clip before we jump into Q and A. Yeah. There is. Let me just find it. I have all night. Oz is still at his oh, gig and the kids are awesome. So there is this, let me just, there is this channel called Dark Matter 2525. They've got 760,000. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm right. Yeah. So th this video, I don't know, it's now this video is 11 years old. This video really helps me understand why a lot of the Christians in my life were taking such a harsh reaction when they found out that I was even questioning my faith. Um, mm -hmm. But so I wanted to show this, I wanted to kind of, it's only six minutes and we can talk about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to show this to get everyone's opinion. And I'd love to hear what chat thinks about this as well, because this video was really big for me. Theresa is attracted to Anthony. She asks Anthony out on a date. Anthony isn't interested. Maybe he isn't attracted to her or he's married. For whatever reason, he declines. Was Theresa rejected? Yes. When someone is rejected, they're prone to feel despair and frustration. Typically, she'll feel resentment and anger toward Anthony. The rejection affected the dopamine and cortisol activity in her brain, which can actually cause physical pain. Some short-term effects of this rejection are aggressiveness and antisocial behavior. This type of emotional reaction can also explain why atheists are one of the most hated groups of people. Theresa is a theist, and a billboard reminded her that atheists exist. Or perhaps Theresa discovered that her acquaintance, Anthony, is an atheist. Or Theresa is in an argument with Anthony about the existence of God. Any one of these things can cause Theresa to feel despair and frustration. Typically, she'll feel resentment and anger toward Anthony. Because of this, she may even exhibit aggressiveness and antisocial behavior. As you can see, there is a fascinating parallel between the typical reaction of someone who is romantically rejected and the typical reaction of a theist who encounters an atheist. But the parallel is practically shouted from the rooftops as the theist actually describes the atheist's disbelief as rejection. The atheist rejects God, they say. It is no coincidence that the theist chooses the word rejection because there is a disconnect between the inaccurate use of the word rejection to describe the atheist's position and the theist's reaction, which coincides with the exact same symptoms of rejection, thereby compelling them to use that word, even though it's inaccurate. The inaccuracy can be easily seen from the romantic perspective. The analogy would look like this. Theresa tries to set Anthony up on a blind date with Gloria. Anthony doesn't think that Theresa even knows Gloria or that she's acting as an agent on Gloria's behalf. Did Anthony actually reject Gloria? No. What if Anthony doesn't even believe that Gloria exists? Perhaps Theresa described her as being too attractive, 
described her personality as too perfect to be believable. So if Anthony doesn't believe Gloria actually exists, did he reject her, even if she does exist? No. All Gloria would need to do is show up and ask Anthony in person for him to accept. Or perhaps Theresa described Gloria inaccurately. Is Anthony rejecting the real Gloria or the inaccurate portrayal of Gloria, which doesn't actually exist, even though she does? In all accounts, Anthony is not actually rejecting Gloria. And in all accounts, Theresa would have no reason to feel rejected at all. So why then does the theist typically show the classic signs of rejection and even misuse the word rejection when encountering an atheist? Because Gloria is Theresa. The believer is God. Your relationship with God is actually a profound dynamic relationship with the self, with your ego. It is why God knows you so well. It is why his opinions are so often your opinions and why a different believer of the same God as yours can claim that he agrees with God's opinions, but not yours. It is why God can seem so very real to you because he is real. He is you. And believer, before you deny this, ask yourself, are you truly in a position to be able to deny it? This confusion of skepticism with rejection has caused the persistence of Christianity's fundamental flaw, a foundational flaw that has fatally detrimental implications for the religion. The religion itself is based on a false dichotomy, the notion that you must either choose God or reject him. But belief is not a choice. It's a compulsion beyond the realm of choice achieved through convincing arguments, evidence, and trust. I do not choose what I believe because I perceive it as the more attractive option. I'm compelled to believe what I think is true, whether I like it or not because desirability is not a requisite of the truth. This takes honest introspection. To truly make a choice, I must clearly be given the option. If I can doubt whether the option even exists, then the option hasn't been clearly presented to me, thereby preventing me from being able to make a choice. An omniscient God would easily see this flaw in his system. But God isn't omniscient. He only seems that way because somehow, some way, he knows exactly how to answer your doubts. He knows exactly how you think. And if you were paying attention, then you'd know exactly why that is. Yeah, so old video, but have you seen that one before? I have, yes. That... I think you shared that with me. Yeah, I did. I wasn't sure if you got around to watching it because obviously you were going through a lot and you probably didn't want to like constantly be thinking I about did. it. I <laughs> did. Yeah. I, and, you know, I, it's so funny because it's been a while since I've even recalled. That is very powerful stuff because I love Doc Maddox. Breaking it down so fantastically like that is like, fuck, we need to share this with 
every fucking theorist. They would get the someone send this to P Town, please, because he's fucking annoying and he needs to see this. Anyway, no, my the most capturing of it all is something I know I've dealt with or not dealt with, thought about the notion of when he mentions the introspection. So I felt that for me, I know I I do a lot of introspecting. I that introspection metamorphosizes itself to me being very overly critical of me. I always and very apologetic of, you know, certain actions I may take to a person or, and I'm very cautious in how I speak or how I portray myself or who I talk to. I'm very socially introverted. So all that jazz. So introspection for me is not difficult, but I recognize how immensely difficult it is for my mother and sister. That's what caught oh, me. Yeah. Because their introspection is prayer. Their Mm. introspection is relying on God and feeling as if they are being directed to what their God thinks is is directing them to. And then just based on the whole beginning of that is, like it said, it's just a metamorphosized you thinking that you need to be this way because this is how you're interpreting your faith for you, even though the next person is going to interpret it differently and they may have, they may fucking go to the same church as you. So, and at the time that you sent me this video where I was dealing with a lot of heavy stuff allowed me to then critically think about like, okay, why is it that I'm feeling like I'm repeating myself so much to my mother and my sister, saying the same shit, relaying the same information. It's unchanged. At this point, I have nothing else to hide. The only thing I have hidden from them is the fact that I'm, I do YouTube stuff. And, and I will remain to hide that because that is my safe haven. This is where I demonstrate my authentic self and I want them nowhere near that. I don't want that yeah. to be muddy so i'll never ever fucking tell them this so and in all that you know i know and understand more of why my mother never you know quote unquote understood me never took the time to actually listen or hear my words or even allowed me to speak and at the same interim my sister you know always feeling that she always feeling that she was more superior and right and that I sh- I don't know why it's so difficult for me to follow along. And I often thought also, like, you know, me and my sister being not that far in age, raised the same for a certain important period in our time, dressed the same for church, that is, and being told and raised all of what our parents instilled in us. Why did I come out different? So yeah, that, that video touches on a lot. For me. We need, is there any software developers or web developers that are in the chat that could maybe, we can, we need like an atheist to design like a web developer to design a decision tree. So it's like, you can, you know, you can put in all your things. It's like, why don't you believe? And it's just like, it has your answer. And it's just like, and then they've got options they could ask. And it just tells them the same things that you've yeah. asked right down to the bottom. It's just like, just find like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So when I came on Tang, you made up this rumor that I wanted to freestyle with Oz. I didn't Oz think it was a rumor. I thought it was true, but okay. <laughs> it was definitely not true. And I definitely made a fool of myself. It definitely knocked, it definitely made me very humble. I didn't realize I was, I had, I was, I didn't realize the ego that I had until I was humbled by how bad my freestyle was. But <laughs> so I'm wanting to return the favor and ask you if you could show us a little bit of praise dancing. Oh can you... my god! <laughs> no, can you show us some moves? Just like a move, just one move. You don't even have to get up. Just show us like what it looked like the praise dancing. Oh god, I'm so glad I don't have any recordings of that at all. Thank you, Jesus. It's so weird. I'm trying to like recall something, you know, mildly pleasant. I like just the whole movement of hands is important. Like oh uh, yeah, like this. And then like going like that or whatever. I'm like, oh Jesus. No, okay. okay, I'm done. Yep. Did you do did you do did you have prayer flags in your church? No. We had prayer bells. So basically uh-huh. a team of eight or nine people would learn to play these like they're kind of like those ho- those big holiday bells. They sound really like nice. And they did. Yeah. You know, we had that and of course the praise dancing and we did competitive choir you know festivals i was a part of that shit too that's um, cool harvest festivals youth conferences ugh, all that stuff <laughs> that's so cool okay well let's jump into some q a if anyone's got any questions they want to ask now it's time to ask them first question i want to ask is i and i just thought of this as we we're having a conversation what advice would you give to someone who has a family member who is deconstructing maybe they're a christian or something what advice would you give to someone to to help them best understand that person deconstructing? Stop talking and listen. Okay. Because, it, and especially in the beginning, it was very. It is typical from what we've you know as creators and you know listen to debates or conversations or you know open streams, things like that, where, you know, the typical theist would say, like, why are you so angry with God? Or what did God do to you? How, you know, how did God not reveal himself? Things like that. And, you know, that's the kind of like line of questioning. I remember I I actually recorded this kind of back and forth conversation about religion that I had with my sister, like a couple nights after my initial coming out to them. She wanted to understand why I didn't believe anymore and what happened. And like I was saying, well, how come she still believes and I don't? Like, we'll go phrase the same, all that good stuff. Thank you for the subliness. So, yeah, I, if you really want, if you, no, if you genuinely want to understand the person that's deconstructing or potentially deconverting or has already deconverted, just shut up, shut the fuck up and listen to them. It's, it, don't, Walk into it with your perceived notion of, oh, something traumatic must have happened. Because it could be some of the time that nothing traumatic really happened to that person. They just was like, I don't believe this shit. Moving the fuck on. Be as simple as that. Or it can be as detrimental or traumatic as anything. Maybe not even near close to what I went through. But, you know we can not we all can never really walk in our own shoes walk in each other's shoes but we can empathize we can strive to be as empathetic as possible 
to at least allow that person to be heard and understood. Because if you don't allow room for that, then they're always going to feel like they should have just kept this to themselves. They would have felt a lot safer. They would have not felt that someone or some people are judging them or perceiving them in a way that they're not. Like, because I was immediately perceived as, oh, you know, devil worshiping, even though I was like, oh, I don't believe in the devil. That's not a direct <laughs> dichotomy, mother. Like, it's like, uh, it's like, have you seen that? It's like a, it's like a thread. It's like a meme. It's like someone says, like, Satanists don't believe in Satan. And someone asks, like, well, who believes right. in Satan? And then the Church of Satan comments and says, Christians, who believes in a little yeah. Satan? It's like, Christians. Or you're allowing Satan to motivate you to not believe in god i'm like no because i don't fucking believe in that thing like no that's not a thing so yeah to be short shut up and listen allow them to express who they are because everyone's different everyone goes through this differently everyone comes out of it differently Mm. but the trauma and feeling like you're being judged or not heard or ostracized I mean, it's different characters in the storybook, but it's the same story. Okay. That's a great answer. Is Thanks to everyone. I see everyone encouraging and posting in the comments. Thank you everyone for who's subscribing and sharing on these socials. I really appreciate it. I'm trying to get to a thousand subscribers and it's, it goes a long way. So thank you. What is the best advice you've ever been given? I, I generally have to critically think about this because sometimes I don't allow myself to listen to myself. Is it maybe read this book? Well, I mean, I definitely listened to my mother in the situation, yeah. brought a book to jury duty and read it. <laughs> so it is, it is, my, it is one of my favorite books. In fact, Atlas, so this is full name, my, my newborn, Atlas, Christopher, McDonald, Christopher, mm-hmm. after the author, Christopher Hitchens and my middle name. So very big fan of that book. Very nice. Yeah. I, I mean, sure. I'll take a page out of my toxic mother's book and say that was the best advice. Bring a book to jury duty. And I did. <laughs> really? And wow. there you go. I became an atheist. There you go, mom. Wow. But no, I'll, if I genuinely, I would say, and Oz actually often tells me this all the time, be kinder to yourself. Mm-hmm. I am very much, very hard, still am. Again, a little better. But I'm very critical and very hard on myself. I don't, Mm. I almost allow myself almost zero room of forgiveness when it comes to expectations, things I should have done. Oh, I should have got back into this person. Oh, I should have created this stream. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, I should have done that. Or things that I feel like I could have control of, but I don't. And I, and most times realistically don't have control of, and I still blame myself or yeah, I'm, yeah. But I, I didn't want to sound like a dick before when I said, don't say like pointing out the need thing, but I just noticed that with your terminology, it's, you was like, I should have done this. I need to do this. I have to do this. And I know Oz will back me on this. You don't have to do shit. You just need to be happy. In those chill, exact relax. words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I said it like that. Cause I knew it like that. It's uh, cause I, I used to do the same thing. I used to, I used to go to my, I used to go to my psychologist and say, I didn't say that. I'd say it's bad. Oh, it's really bad that I did this. It's so bad. I'm eating so poorly i'm doing a mm. bad job and he'd say no you'd always pull him go no, it's just not helpful to your greater goals in life and I'm like, okay mm. and it took a while to learn it and i think i think that's something you should not to tell you what how to live your life but i think you deserve to just not have to shoot anything not have to need to do anything and just 
drink more wine, have and relax <laughs> because you are you're perfect just the way you are. Thank you. Someone asks, what is an atheist? It's whatever you think or make as for yourself an atheist is. I can't tell you how to atheist. Our fucking motto on our channel is atheist your way. So do you, so for someone who maybe is like, like who doesn't know what atheist is at all. Like they're like, a lot of people have this assumption that atheism is like the perspective that there definitely is no God. And some people right. think it's just like, meh. So what do you think atheism is? For you personally in regards to do you think it's like a hard stance that there is no god or do you think it's just not being convinced of the evidence that there is no god or do you think i wouldn't say it's a hard stance but i, I honestly it's i'm in this spot where i've it's so weird because most of my thoughts as far as my anxieties of life is more focused on you know pleasing and not pleasing my family or feeling that i'm doing things the right way, either for myself or others. Like I hardly ever really consider what it means for me to be atheist or what that means to me. Really. Like, am I a hard atheist? Am I a soft atheist? Am I don't take no shit from nobody atheist in your face or not in your face? I don't, I just it, see my, yeah. It's fun. Yeah, I know. Cause it's like atheism is like a belief, like abstinence is a sex position. It's like, I'm just right. not engaging. It's, you know, I'm not, it's like, it's, yeah. I like love, I engage I, for the purpose of, you know, the channel. I engage for the purpose of, you know, making certain content more known that's not really as known, especially being a black female. Like that's always been my drive. And I always say, I've always have said since starting out small and putting my voice and face out there to now, I've always said, I just need to reach one person. I just want for one person to feel like they can relate and they can see my strength and my struggle through all of this. And even, especially when I, before I came out where I was a closeted atheist and people knew me that way and mm. they could look at me and say, well, she's approaching it this way. She's striving to find, I'm still striving to find myself, ask questions, things like that. Now that I'm open, I'm still on that path for someone to see, okay, now you've heard my story tonight. You've heard what I've gone through, dealt with. It was horrible. There were times where I just wanted to feel like dying. Like, and I say that lightly and I shouldn't say that lightly, but genuinely in certain moments, I felt like it would just be best that I'm not here. Yeah. And the panic attacks were so extreme and to where I physically could not feel like I could make it certain days. It was hard. And, it's, and I, I wasn't ever physically abused, but it physically took a toll on my day to day to where I'm just trying to make it to get out of here, to be mm -hmm. with the man that I love and to finally feel free. Like, I'm really just mm -hmm. trying to be there. It's like, okay, another two months or another two weeks or another day. It was literally a day-by-day -day mental psych me out of saying, you're going you're gonna to make it. You're having this breakdown right now, but you're going to make it. it. It was difficult. And Oz can tell you the stories. Like, he was the only person I would tell. And, you know, kudos for him for being so fucking patient and there 
he's amazing and i know when people initially look at him and see his content or hear him like he he's in your face but he's only that way if you deserve it he is the <laughs> sweetest gentlest cuddliest person like you need someone in your corner he's the guy yeah he truly is yeah really and i just happen yeah, to be, a... been, have the benefit of dating the man <laughs> yeah i'll ask this last question just so we the stream doesn't drag on too long give yourself if you go back in time and give yourself advice both when you were deconstructing and and when you were telling your family what would that be find your outlets there were many times where i felt very trapped especially in situations where I knew that this was going to grow to be something really traumatic and toxic. Definitely find better defenses for myself or, you know, fight for me. I went throughout that whole process, not fighting for me. I, like I said, I'd never raised my voice. I never talked back. I provided as best answers I could when they asked me certain things. I am proud that I did it on my terms, that I wasn't outed. I did it in the moment where, okay, I'm gonna go in to this place in this moment at this time and come out and say it. And I did, and I'm grateful that I did. As And it's not like I was hugely prepared. You're never fucking prepared. That shit is scary as shit. It's fucking scary. And it didn't make me feel immediately good at all after I, I feel a great relief knowing that I did do that and now I'm here and I'm living life, mm -hmm. but I'm still struggling. I haven't talked to my mom and my sister for like maybe a week and a half, almost two, which is unusual. And, you know, I can only put out so much effort to initiate something and I don't get it. But yeah, mm -hmm. keep it brief. I would say, you know, find my outlets and defend yourself because you don't deserve these attacks. You didn't do anything wrong and they don't deserve for me to always bend over backwards. I really hope Amy is still watching. She uh, would pick up so much from that and she would agree with the always being the one that has to reach out to family, at least for a while. It's gotten, it's getting a bit. I sit here stuff. now, almost every, and Amy, if in our, if you're listening, I sit here on a daily basis, like either doing work or preparing a stream or even, you know, eating something or I sit here in certain moments where I feel like my phone goes off and it's not from them. And I have a brief two seconds of thinking, maybe I should text them. Maybe I should say good morning. Maybe I should say hi. Yeah. Maybe I should say I love you. Every fucking day I have, there yeah. not, has been one day I haven't relent. These are, I feel these, these are trained behaviors. Like you, you they build are. up something. Like I remember I, I gave up smoking and I hadn't smoked for a few weeks and I actually, I quit on Amy's birthday 12 years ago. Cause she had this list of the perfect guy back when she was as a teenager. And the only thing on there that like everything she wanted in a guy, was like something you did at church. And the thing, the one thing was a non-smoker, like one of those. And I, that's the only thing I didn't. So. Anyway, long story short, I ended up giving up on her birthday. But I remember when I got in the car for the first time again, because I used to always smoke in the car. I was like, oh, I like it. All those feelings came back. It's because it's a learned behavior. You see your text, your phone, and you're like, oh, maybe I should text. Or yeah. it becomes just habit. 
Yeah. Well, Jenna, I'll actually, I lied. I'll ask one more question. If you give advice to someone else who's thinking of coming out to their family, they want to take the plunge, what would you say? Well, I see Aaron's question. I'll answer that really quick. What am I excited for oh, this yes. year? I'm excited for better. Oh, yes. I'll briefly kind of go over that. And we're, and then next week or so, or this coming week, we're going to make a stream and making all the announcements, all the goodies about it. So I'm excited for those plans and just, you know, being fucking here and, you know, and, and around June, that's when Oz will have his lease up at this place and we get to move into the place that we want to be. So that's exciting too. It's a lot this year. Just, you know, just experience all new shit. But to your question, what advice I would give someone coming out? I would say, because taking into consideration, my deconstruction process was about six to seven years long. And me being... A closet atheist lasts about three to four years. And every other person that was out telling me, oh, why am I waiting? Or you should, or maybe you do it this way, or maybe you do it that way, or just don't give a fuck and just not go to church or pretend that you're going to church. And yeah, that was something I did for a while. Like pre-COVID, I pretended to still be about it and not be all in it and just feeling disgusted wow. at the end of the day. I would have to put on the show, put on that mask and go to church because that's what my family did. And I had to just comply with that because I wasn't out and I wanted to keep the peace and I wasn't ready to come out. Mm -hmm. And I, for a time, told myself, convinced myself that I never would. And even if you still feel that, whoever's listening to this, even if you still feel that now, that's okay. Because you never know what could change that for you. Just as long as you are capable of coming out on your own terms, no matter how prepared or unprepared you are, make sure you do it and do it for you. Because whether it turns out more in your favor and your family is like more loving and forgiving and understanding by surprise, or it can be just as ugly as my experience was. You know, give yourself the time to find your own safe place and community and support first. That's what I needed. I didn't, when starting out, I didn't have friends or people to converse with in real time. I grew and have that now. I felt the love and support of knowing where I could fall back if I needed someone to catch me. Having that and then being able to do and come out on my own terms allowed me to finally come out no matter how long it takes you and do it for you that's great advice that's fantastic advice jenna it's been an absolute pleasure having you on thank you so much i look forward to being on more shows with you and creating content with you again in the future and yes, seeing please. where tang goes oh it's so good maybe we can bully we could both bully my wife enough to come onto a show one time i'm sure she'll eventually give in please. she can't say no to you <laughs> but, uh, thanks everyone for coming out i really appreciate it and we'll see you all next yeah. week as we talk to michael granado about his phd thesis on time how has it changed what is time it's going to be a weird one it's going to be a scientific one it's going to be one where i'm scratching my head and hopefully you as well or maybe not anyway thank you guys see you later and see you next time